All right, you can have a seat. Like I said, I want to just reiterate that um, we are really glad that you're here um, today. Um, like Jazz said, it is, it, is a, it is a unique and crazy time we're living in. Um, and to just come to church right now is, is not, uh, it's just different. Maybe you could even describe it as awkward, right? But I, I'm honored and I'm, 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 we're happy that you've joined us um, this morning in worship. Um, if you're a guest with us, I especially want to welcome you um, I said, college students, glad to see you back. If you are uh, maybe new to Norman, new to, new to OU, or maybe you're just deciding to find a church this semester, um, we're really glad that you're here, and we'd love to get connected with you. Um, if you um, we don't have Connect cards out right now because we're trying to keep as much physical stuff away from each other and passing that around, but the Connect, um, connect table at the end of the service, you can go there, you can find more information right now. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of communication in the college group me. And so if you want to be a part of that group me, um, I would encourage you to go back to the table and just uh, give them your, uh, your phone number and, and uh, they can probably get that in there for you. But we really want to get you connected if you're a freshman, I mean, especially this year. This is so, such a lame, <laughs> lame way to start your college. It was a lame way to graduate and now it's a lame way to start your college uh, career. And so uh, we want you to, to be grounded here and have a place you can call home and familiar people, um, have familiar people around. Uh, next, I uh, just want to say that the, the, throughout the last four to six months, we've said this hopefully enough to encourage you, but giving has been great at the church, like, um, and, and we um, were just blown away by God, that God continues to provide through um, our members and, and um, consistent attenders, and so again, I just want to say thanks, but if you want to give, here are the places um, you can give. I just want to remind you of that, a lot of that giving right now, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out how we can bless people that, um, that are affected by the, the world in which we live in right now. So we're looking at ways we can send that money out, uh, made, maybe more than ever before. And so a lot of that money um, will go outside of the church for God to do his work. One quick announcement, especially for college students, next Sunday, so after the service, next Sunday, um, yeah, slide, uh, college lunch, um, after the 1045 service, so after this service next week, like 12 to 1230, at a park to be announced next week, um, we will have um, just a, a time to get together and to have uh, a pizza, right? And we're going to try to do all the safety precautions possible to make you all feel comfortable in coming. So whether you're new, a new college student with us or an existing college student, come and um, at least meet other college students, and there'll be a few of, of us there as well to, to meet you. So just kind of bookmark that in your mind, put it in your calendar, whatever you use, and remember that is next week after this service, okay? So today, let me give you a, let me give you a little roadmap of today and really the next couple of weeks. So we are done with our series on the Psalms. We've been doing that all summer. I think we went maybe at least 12, 10 to 12 Psalms, maybe even up, up to 15. But anyway, today is a standalone s- uh, sermon, and we're going to focus on prayer. We'll talk about, more about that in a second. Next week is another standalone service, so we're going to talk um, about really how to love each other well in uh, the midst of what we're going through right now. Just all the events happening in the world, um, there's a lot of questions with, with um, um, families in our church, with kids starting school, and you've got a lot of different opinions. There's just a lot, there's a, it's, a, it's a good chance right now for Satan to get into people's relationships and cause them to disagree on things that, they, that, it, that doesn't really matter and make those things a bigger deal than they need to be. And so we're going to address that next week. And then the following week, we're going to jump back into 1 Corinthians, the book that we started or we were in 
back in February, early March, we had to cancel, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians probably um, uh, at least to the end of the year. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. So that is the roadmap of the next three weeks. Today, like I said, we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk for about 10 more minutes about prayer and look at a passage, and then we're actually going to pray. So we're actually going to talk about prayer and actually pray for probably about 15 minutes after this um, short sermon. And uh, the, the text we're going to use to kind of help us jump into talking about prayer, but also I think it helps give us a little bit of a template for how we should see God in prayer. Go to Isaiah 55. The verses will be up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, it's Isaiah 55. Isaiah is, is uh, roughly, roughly halfway through the Bible. Um, if you're trying to find it and, and you're not used to going to Isaiah, uh, about halfway through the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, but towards the the last two-thirds of the Old Testament or so. Um, and so prayer. Here, here's, what, here's why we're doing this, right? Like there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot, at least for me, and I think for the most of the people I've talked to, more than time than any, any ever other in my life, feel, things feel out of control, right? And I, I don't know how to prepare for things. I don't know how to think about things coming up in the future. And more than ever, I find myself... Um, wanting to go back to God and trust him that he is the one that knows how all of this is going to work out. And he is the one that's involved in all of this. And so this is why we're spending time praying now. The great thing about Isaiah 55 here, like I said, it gives us a little bit of a template or a picture of what God is like. And we should, we should be paying attention to what God is like when we come in prayer. One of the most famous um, uh, prayers in the Bible is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus takes his disciples and teaches them how to pray. And if you remember at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, the very first statement is, Our Father. So right out of the gate, Jesus is giving this massive identity statement to the one that we're supposed to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. So it's not our, even our God, or our, um, our Savior, or our um, um, sovereign one, or all-knowing all, all one. No, it's our Father. Probably the most relational phrase that Jesus can use or identity for God he uses there. So he wants us to be thinking about God when we pray. And so as we get into Isaiah here, we're going to see some aspects of God that I think will help us as we move into prayer. So let's look at verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. This is God speaking through a prophet, Isaiah. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without honey and without a price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which is not, does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. I'm going to stop here talk about a few things. He's inviting us to come to him. First thing we should see, come everyone who thirsts. And to some degree, we all thirst. Like we, we, we all, at least, at least a little bit, look to things other than God for our, um, our value, our worth, our sustenance. And so at some level, we're all thirsting. But he's inviting people who don't have it all together. He said, hey, come holy ones. No. Come those of you who have your lives together. No. He says, come everyone who thirsts. So the the prerequisite for coming to God is being thirsty, feeling like you want God or you need something. That's what God wants. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk, which were two, the two most kind of precious liquids to consume at the time were wine and milk. That's what everybody wanted. And he's saying, come without, um, these are like free things. There's, you're not going to be in debt. There's no price. There's no strings attached. Just come and enjoy what God has to offer. In verse 2, he's kind of correcting us a little bit by saying, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Or why do you spend your resources, your energy, your time, your effort going after things that aren't the good things? And at that time, bread was good. Like that was top shelf was bread, really good bread. And labor, and labor for things that, which do not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Don't eat okay things, but eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food, the, the richest of food. So he's inviting us here. He's, he's, he's wanting us to come and spend time with him. This could be spending time doing anything, but for our context today, we're talking about prayer. Verse three, incline your ear or listen and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Now he's going to connect us, our covenant, to um, his people's covenant. Um, My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples and a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall not... You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now, he's saying here that he's making a covenant, this covenant of love with his people. And in that context, he was talking about um, the, the, the Israelites, right? That's how they would have read it in their time. But being on this side of the resurrection, this side of Jesus, we look back and read this knowing that that was one promise that was fulfilled, but the greater promise that this passage points to is jesus jesus being the one that was the new covenant he was the he was the 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 fullness of the covenant that they that god made with his people and and david being involved with that so he's basically saying i'm going to love you with a covenant based off of what jesus has done and this is the the promise that we find it finds a fulfillment in jesus for us this is why we talk about the gospel so much right and when we come to prayer we can't leave the gospel on the side and then come and pray like it's just like an activity separate from the gospel. The gospel is what allows us to enter into the presence of God. The veil has been torn. The, 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 the holy of holies has been, the, the wall to the holy of holies has been made open for us to come and spend time with no mediator with God. Well, Christ is our mediator, but no physical mediator between us and God. And the gospel is the thing that allows us to do that. We don't deserve to, be, to come into God's, God's presence. We're not good enough on our own to be able to come to God and have him listen to us. We're not. But through Jesus and the gospel, we, um, we can come to him and we can pray to him. Okay? Now, the next, really, there, there's two, uh, six and seven, and then eight and nine go together in kind of two pairs. And... This is where we're going to see two sides of God. I think this is important to keep in your mind when you pray. This is helpful, okay? So listen to these next two verses. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He's saying he's near to us. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. So if you're feeling like you're not worthy enough, if you've done some wicked and sinful things, he doesn't say, hey, stay away from me. Don't come near me. He's saying, let him or you return to the Lord so that he can shower you with compassion, so he can show you how good he is. Don't run away from him when you fail and when you mess up. Run to him, and you get to experience the compassion of God. And to our God, for he will abundantly 
pardon. Not just pardon, not just like, yeah, okay, you're good. But he, he will abundantly pardon. He will show us that we can be reconciled and united to God even when we mess up. So this speaks of God's nearness, right? Like God, that, that father, that relational aspect of God's love. We see this in Jesus, God becoming flesh, dwelling amongst us. If you have faith in Jesus and you have b- believe in him, you now have the Holy Spirit within you. He is near to you through the Spirit. He came near to, to us in the incarnation as well. So when we pray to him, we should feel that we're in the presence of a father, a loving father that loves us and wants us to kind of metaphorically jump up in his lap so he can like be close to us and can embrace us and make us feel safe. This is kind of the nearness of God here. Now let's shift gears to kind of the, other, the, the, the flip side of the coin. You have verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So this speaks to God's transcendence. So we have God's nearness, but God is often is, is, is also otherworldly. He's mysterious. We can't understand everything about God because we're humans. We're the creation. He's the creator. Just like when you try to describe heaven in a physical way, he's saying like, when you try to describe heaven physically, it's hard in comparison to earth. We kind of know the idea of heaven and what kind of the aspects of heaven. But when you say, well, how, how does heaven, like I try to do this with, with our son, right? He's like, what is heaven? And I explain like the theological answer, right? But that doesn't work for a four-year-old. So he's like, well, does, is it like, is it in the cloud or is it like below the clouds or is it above the clouds? Like he's wanting answers. And I'm like, well, you know, like it's just, it's just high, right? It's just like, all we can think is see the sky as human beings. So most human beings just kind of look up to heaven. And because that is like we, we see the ground, we feel the ground, and that's kind of tangible. But we know God's otherworldly, so we kind of tend to think of heaven as in the sky, right? And so just like that we don't understand that, he's saying that his ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand him all the time. And so these two things, you kind of hold them in tension when you come to God. Like he is a father that loves us, who wants us to crawl up into his lap, but he's also... Um, like God, he's sovereign, he's in control, he's powerful, he's a judge. And so you have these two things that are both characteristics of God that we have to keep in tension when we come to him. Um, so again, back to kind of my son as a four-year-old, um, he probably sees both, I hope he sees both of these things in me to some degree. I think good fathers should, like they, he should feel my nearness, he should feel my physical touch. He should, he should, he should feel, uh, know that he, I, I am near to him. And, I, and, I, and he's always welcome to crawl up into my lap and talk and to cry and to feel. But there is some aspect that I know a four-year-old has that I'm a lot bigger than him. And he knows, right? Like He just knows that I'm bigger than him. I'm louder than him. I'm stronger than him. I, to him, through his little four-year-old eyes, I'm a little bit otherworldly. I'm a little bit like a person that's not like him that's much powerful and stronger than him. So even as I am a father on, on earth here, Jack sees those two things um, come together as he relates to me. Now think of if you pulled out one of these aspects, right? If you said, um, if you lost God's, um, let's say God's nearness, if you lost that, will you be coming to a God who was powerful, who was scary, who was a judge, but you would have any like relationship there, like where like you wouldn't you wouldn't feel his presence, you wouldn't feel his nearness, you definitely wouldn't feel the, that aspect of God's fatherly nature that he wants you to crawl up into his lap, and that would be 
that would be an incomplete God. And it may make your prayer life incomplete too if you come to God thinking of him just as like the big God, the transcendent God. Or flip it the other way around. Maybe you come to God and you kind of forget that he is sovereign and powerful and a judge. He's the creator of everything. He speaks and things come into existence. Like, you, you forget that. He's just, he's just kind of the, 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 the father who loves you. Again, which is so true and so right. But it's incomplete if you don't also have that aspect of God that you think about. Of, because what if he, 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 he couldn't, how would you know that he could answer your prayers? If you ask for a prayer, if you ask for something, ask God to move mountains on your behalf, which the scriptures say we should ask him for, like how, do, how would you believe that if you were praying just to an earthly father or just to a father that's near? We need to know the bigness and the power of God and be able to trust him that when I pray, yes, he is dear, but he can also move. He can also answer prayer. He can also work miracles. He can also take a, a dead, person, a dead uh, spiritual heart and make it alive to his love and his grace. We need both when we come to God in prayer. Okay, so let's look at verse 10. So, so again, we're seeing this template now. So he's called us to come to him. Now he's, there, he's given us two aspects of God to think about. And this is a promise. This is such good news here. And you, many of you maybe have heard of these verses, maybe just pulled out of context, but this is the context they find themselves, find themselves in. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and the bread to the eater. So he gives us some imagery there, a picture. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty to me, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay, so we, that's a verse we kind of use for really talking about the power of God's word, and that is true. But Jesus was also called God's word, right? Like he was the word, he was the, the, the word embodied, right? And so this can speak of Jesus, it can speak of God's word. But basically he's saying that when God speaks through his word or through Jesus, like that word is going to accomplish the mission that it was sent out to do. And that is really good news for us. That is really good news when we come into a place like this or when you spend time with God at home, like all of this is built around his word. This is why we build this service around his word and around the person and work of Jesus because this promise is only connected to God's word. It's not connected to a person outside of Jesus. It's not connected to a, 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 a slick church program or a name or anything else. It is connected to God's word. That is the promise, that God's word will not return void. And then the last, I'll, I'll get, come back to 12 and 13, but I just want to read it. It's another promise in how we should actually feel. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And this is kind of this picture of redemption here. Instead of the thorn shall come up a cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up a myrtle. And it shall, it shall make a name for the Lord and an everlasting sign that it shall not be cut off. This is where it's all leading, right? This is where all of our, our faith, this is the end of the story. God making all things right mainly in Christ, in the work of Christ. And now his spirit, as a spirit works in the world. Now, that's just going quickly through Isaiah 55. Now, now we talk about praying, it helps now. Okay, we've got some handles. We have a view of who God is. We have his invitation to come to him. We know the promise now that when we are praying and he's kind of, we're reading the scripture as we pray, like that is a promise that's not gonna return void. 
And then we know how the story's going to end. Like things, the, 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 all, th- all things that are sad will come untrue, as C.S. Lewis says, right? Like all things that are sad will come untrue. Like the broken will be made right. The tears shall be wiped away. That is where all of this is heading. In a time like this, in the world we find ourselves in, I think Isaiah 55 is a great passage to read through slowly and repetitively because there's so much truth about who God is and what he has done for us and what the outcomes of the work of Jesus are going are gonna to do for us. So let's get into praying. Okay, so we're going to, here's how, here's how the prayer time is going to look. Um, if you're, if, you're, if you're joining us at home, um, we're going to have time for you to, to, to pause and pray these three things um, on your own at home. But here's, here are the three things we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for Providence Road, and really specifically for unity and health. Um, there are spiritual forces working in the world right now, not, not just right now, but all the time, right? But if maybe they feel a little bit heightened right now. And the last thing I want and what I want to pray against is, is that we're not tempted inside of the church, and especially our church, to let Satan get a foothold and cause disunity and disagreement among us. And it's really easy right now to let that happen, okay? So um, in all of these, I've tagged a, 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 a scripture um, to that. And so this passage specifically talks about unity in the local body of Christ, Okay, and the reason why I did that is as we're going through this, um, when we're praying, we're going to leave <clears throat> about four or five minutes of, of just silence. And we're going to ask that you would pray um, quietly uh, through this prayer point. And one of the things that's really hard about prayer is staying focused. I think we all know that. That's really hard for most of us, including me. And so what's really helpful that I would encourage you to do even in your own prayer life, but now for sure, is when you feel your mind wandering and start spacing out, go back and just read it. Read it two or three times, ground yourself back in the truth, in the word, and pray that his spirit would kind of keep you um, thinking and praying along that, to, to that end. Um, and then we're going to have, the, the next prayer point is going to be pray for, the, pray for our city and nation, and I'll talk more about that when we get to that one. And then the last one's going to be pray that God would continue to build his church, or that the gospel would continue to advance um, in our city and throughout the nations, even in the midst of this time, okay? So... Um, Again, four, we're, I'm, I'll transition through each prayer point and just spend some time silently praying along with you. But if you, feel, um, if you feel like praying aloud, you can pray aloud, right? Like a little one or two sentence prayer that really encourages the rest of the room when we hear others pray out loud. So that, that's, I want you to feel comfortable doing that during this time, okay? And, and encouraging one of But if, if, that, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, just pray silently along with me and I'll move us along. And, and one last thing, this is, I think this is really important um, during this time because um, I think there's a lot of things that we can look to to, um, to anchor us or to get a handle on right now. And I just want us to, to pray and to realize that um, we need God. If, if, if that wasn't true, if we didn't think that was true before, it's always been true, but, but if we didn't think it was true before, hopefully what the last several months have showed us is we need God. We need his wisdom. We need to know that he's there and he's in control during these times, okay? So first prayer point, and then I'm going to give some space. Pray for Providence Road, specifically unity, right? And I'm going to read this passage. This is Paul right after um, arguably three of the best chapters laying out our theology in all the scriptures. Ephesians 1 through 3 is incredible. The very next verse, beginning of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, so based off of all the things he just said, I therefore, a prisoner or a servant for the Lord, urge you. I mean, there's just like, 
man, he just like wants us to get this, urges you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, the calling to be disciples, to love God and love other people. I mean, that's the calling, to follow him to which you have been called. Here's, the, here's how that looks. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love. It's a great fourth four-item checklist for you to kind of check yourself, right? Like, are you this kind of person right now? Are you, are you being this kind of person? Um, especially to those in the body of Christ. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the Spirit has unified us as followers of Jesus. And so he says, like, uh, eager to maintain that the Spirit's already unified. Let's maintain it. Maintain it through this bond of peace. That's our role as followers of Jesus inside the church. So pray for unity in the church, specifically Providence Road, and pray that we would just be healthy during this time when I think things can become unhealthy really fast. So take four or five minutes we're going to take in silence. If you need to like look back up here and read that verse to keep yourself anchored, do that. God, I'm not so naive to think that our church is somehow special or protected from disunity. Um, remaining unified is difficult. That's why Paul was consistently hammering that as he wrote his epistles to these churches, to be unified, to be unified around the main thing, and that is Jesus. God this is your son's church. This is Jesus' church. This isn't Jeremy's church. This is the, the elders and pastor's church. This is the staff's church. This is Jesus' church. This is your son's church. So I just pray that we would humble ourselves under your son and to realize that everything we have, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve the air we breathe. And I pray you would cause us to remember that because that softens us so much to being, to, to fighting and, 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 and demonizing other people and, 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 and taking our preferences and our opinions and, and sanctifying them and lifting them up to, to win an argument or to make somebody else feel like they, they're wrong. There is a time for healthy discussion, but that should be done with empathy and humility and, and, and realizing that we're all broken sinners that it, it saved rebels into your kingdom. We don't deserve it. And I pray that you would give us that heart as a church. That that spirit and that posture as a church would then be salt and light for the world around us. And the we wouldn't look great because we are unified, but we can only point to you and say, you're the one through your spirit that keeps us unified. Then we can point to you as the unifier of people in this church from different backgrounds and different ages and different preferences and different uh, political viewpoints. You can unite us, Lord. Do that. Amen. Now I'm going to pray for our city and nation and... Um, we're, we're pretty, our, 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 there's been times in our nation that even in most of our lifetimes where it feel like we're just at each other's throats and it's very polarized, maybe now more than ever, but it's not unusual for our nation to feel, you know, taking sides on different things. But this has come to our community. 
Um, Norman is, 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 is not unified right now. And it's, it's uh, just kind of watching this unfold. It's, it's, been, it's been sad how people are speaking to one another. And, and if you've been gone all summer, you'll probably start to catch wind of that a little bit. Um, so I want to just pray for our city, Norman, and the surrounding area, and our nation. And the verse that I have here is Matthew 5, 43 and 44. And this is, this, we, need to, we need to embrace this, this passage. Listen to this. So Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard that it was said, and he's referring back to the Old Testament teachings. They would have known this well. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's a, kind of a summation Jesus gives of a, of a commandment in, in the Old Testament, right? And at that point, they're like, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I love, love my neighbor. So, I, I mean, the people that look like me, who behave like me, who think like me, who share the same political views I have, yeah, I love them. I'm a good, I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good guy to them, right? Jesus is not finished, though, right? He's not finished. Verse 4, 44, 44, I'm sorry. But I say to you, right here in this moment to you, so forget about that. This is what I say to you. This is for us. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he just blows up their frame of mind that they can only need to be nice, kind, cordial with people who agree with all of them. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So love the people who disagree with you. Love the people who maybe think you're wrong. Love the people who you think they're wrong. And then he goes even further and says, pray for those who actually hurt you who persecute you, who, who marginalize you and maybe physically injure you, potentially kill you, pray for them. This is Jesus' commandment. This is the way of the kingdom, right? And um, for our city and, and, and our nation, I, we can't expect them to, to obey this, right? Like not everyone is a follower of Jesus and not everyone is in the kingdom and has that kingdom ethic. Um, but there is common grace, and I would love for some of God's common grace for this to spill over into the city and the world. And that we would be salt and light as people who this is our commandment, right? This is our verse, that we would be a model, not a self-righteous model, but just a, a model of what this can look like in a, in a humble and gentle spirit. So this is what we're going to pray for again. We're going to spend a few uh, minutes in silence, and if you feel comfortable praying aloud, pray aloud, and then I will close this and transition to our last point. Father, I pray for our city and our nation, and um, just most simply that, that uh, some of the qualities that you call us to in the scriptures um, as, God, as, as your people, I pray that those qualities, um, you would show grace and mercy to our our country and nation and give us some of those qualities, even though we can't expect um, everyone to uh, be formed by your word and have those, those, those virtues and those character qualities. But I pray in your common grace that you would give those to people, especially to the people that are making decisions, people that, that you and your sovereignty have granted power. I pray you would give them wisdom and that you would give them a heart that wants the most flourishing for the most people. Not flourishing for a group of people and to the detriment of another group of people. That you would give people a heart that says, I want the most flourishing for the most people. 
in our city and in our world. I pray you would give um, that kind of heart and that kind of wisdom to those who you have put in places of influence. And I pray once again that you would help the church be salt and light in this time. That we would not be quiet, but that we would not be mean. That we would speak and have our place to speak, but it would be seasoned with salt and full of light and coming from hearts that have been humbled by the gospel and the love that which you've shown us that we did not deserve. I pray we we can bring that to the table as the church. Amen. Last section, we're going to pray for the advance of the gospel everywhere, here and globally. One of the things that I think I've, I've, um, it's helped, this time has helped me is, is uh, right now there's not a lot to, um, like to trust in, to bank in, especially long term and from a big picture standpoint. Um, I think one of the things that God is maybe trying to do with everything that's happened over the last six months um, in this amazing year called 2020, that we all, um, um, it, it's, I've heard, I heard a joke the other day that it's become a, uh, instead of a four-letter word, a four-number word, right? Like, it's, it's like, you, you shall not use that word, right? Because it's like a, a, a curse word. Um, so what's God trying to do, right? That's my question. And I think one of those things is he's trying to pry our hands open of the things that we hold on to to find security to find hope, to find stability in. And our country is a great country in a lot of ways. And, it's, and it, because it's a great country, we can grab and hold, find those things fairly easy in our country. And some of those things have maybe been pulled away with us, or at least the illusion of some things have been pulled away from us. And so maybe that's what God's trying to do, is to pry our hands open, to take those things out of our hands and put into our hands Him. Him. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and trust them at a deeper level. And this, this verse here has, has uh, in this time, has been really helpful for me because we know, we know that God's mission will not stop. It may not come here. It may not be, it doesn't say, uh, the, I will build my church in Norman, Oklahoma, and the gates will not prevail. We have, there's a time and a place for everything all over the world. But my prayer as I read this passage is this, for us to know this and trust this, that as spiritual forces are working all around us, and it feels like to followers of Jesus, maybe the gates of hell are, are pressing in against us right now in our world, that's not going to stand up against God's mission. It will not. God is going to build his church. Jesus is going to build his church. The Holy Spirit is going to build the church. And so my prayer for this time is that we would just believe that and that we would use this maybe as a healthy distraction when nothing else we can say nothing even hell can't stand against this there's not a lot in our world that we can point to right now we can say this will stand up against the gates of hell no like we can with this though so i just want to pray this for a few moments here and 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 really i think it's more for us this this is going to happen right i think it's this is more for us to believe this and pray that god would make this so here I want it to happen in Norman, selfishly. I want God to build his church here. I want to see that. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But he's going to build it somewhere. And he's building it plenty all over the world right now if we just look globally at the church. It is happening. 
even in the midst of corona and all these other things, like he is building his church. So let's pray for this for the next few minutes. Father, I think the prayer, at least for me, for this particular point is that we would not forget this. That this is such, this brings such reassurement. This brings us hope. It, bring, it brought Paul hope that even when he was in prison and being beaten, that he knew the, the work that he was doing and the, and, and the, the, the churches he was planted, that, that that would continue whether he was in pain or he died or lived. That has given comfort to the persecuted and the martyrs throughout the, the, the centuries that this promise of you building your church and nothing's going to stand against it. So I pray that that would... That would help us lighten our spirit. That would help give us hope. Regardless of everything swirling around us, and maybe even in our own hearts and souls, that Jesus is building his church. And in, and in, the cosmic, in a cosmic way, we are a part of that. And I pray that, God, that you would allow us to continue to be built, that you would continue to help us uh, um, see people come to know Jesus and that we would be salt and light in our city during this time that, and that you would use us to build your church in Norman, Oklahoma and the surrounding area. I pray the churches that we support and the missionaries that we support that you would be with them that you give them confidence that you would anchor them in this verse during this season. And I pray that you would just give all of us this week a spirit of of prayer, that we need to come to you, that when we're feeling stressed or anxious or fearful or uncertain, that we, our first instinct would go to you, would be to go to you, not to our phones or our TVs or even, maybe even other people, but it would be to go to you and to remember these things that Isaiah 55 points out that, that, that we saw in that passage today. Help us be people of prayer. Amen.